What's up, Story Geeks? Thanks for joining us today on Story Geeks Podcast. I'm Nick Duke, and today we're digging deeper into Universal Monsters. So before the MCU, before the DCEU, I mean, it didn't have a name uh, at the time, but now we refer to them as the Universal Monsters, uh, the first ever shared universe franchise in Hollywood. So production design, makeup, and visual effects, and perfect casting work together to make these classic films. And today, I'm joined with Story Geeks co-host Sandra Dimas and Chris Salse. So thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Let's dig deeper into Universal Monsters. Um, I think we all just finished watching the same Blu-ray box set oh, yeah. <laughs> of Universal Monsters. Um, and uh, let's say you walk into a dark room and the door shuts behind you footsteps approach and a sliver of light illuminates the face of one of these monsters which one would make you most afraid mm. tossing that up to anybody do any of them scare you at all or <laughs> i mean it, we're, we are talking about uh movies that at the very uh earliest there i think it was 1931 uh yeah. was when dracula came out so um, you know, for me, like I would, I would say the invisible man, just cause you know, when you can't see something that is in and of itself scary because your imagination creates something even bigger. And yeah. Scarier. So that, that sliver of light will be shining on nothing, but you're just hearing those footsteps. Oh, completely. Coming and, toward you. And even now, if you think, you know, of what we're all kind of facing right now, it's this invisible threat. Mm -hmm. And it's scary because you don't know where it is. And, um, you know, this applies to the invisible man, but also the invisible, you know, virus and mm -hmm. um, things that we we can't see. That is truly, truly scary. And I think because you can maybe like hear, hear him approaching, but you can't see him. So he can be anywhere. You know, how do you take a shower? How do you go to bed at night? Um, how do you change your clothes and you don't know that you know somebody can be watching you the entire time mm -hmm. um it's incredibly intrusive that you really don't have that freedom and that sense of of even like the ability to rest because there's a threat looming all the time so i think that one would scare me the most mm -hmm. the unseen completely the, the unknown is like pretty much something that gets to anyone no matter how tough you are well even to think if someone is hidden um, and they're hiding that usually it's for nefarious reasons. So yeah. if, if there is a monster and they can be invisible and he does have that choice, you know, he can wear clothes to be seen, but right. he chooses to not be seen. So he can do really weird things. I mean, like both uh, murder all of these people in a train, but then also mm -hmm. like give money away, which is super <laughs> weird. <laughs> like I don't understand his motivation. He's like money, haha. <laughs> um, running around naked. I know. Yeah. <laughs> or or just put on like a, um, some trousers and like dance around and sing a jaunty little song. Yeah, down um, the street, just <laughs> freaking out. It was very much like I mean the film. The film was very much like a dash of Three Stooges. Yeah, that yeah. I, I really enjoyed. Um, it wasn't scary, but the concept is scary of having someone invisible, this invisible threat. 
Yeah, well, you see this in that movie, Invisible Man, uh, with Claude Rains, um, how he kind of starts off doing that weird stuff, like throwing money all over the place and yelling, money, 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 free money for everyone. And, <laughs> you know, skipping down the street in just pants. And But then, like, you know, the, it's like he's, like, slowly escalating to, like, killing, uh, you know, I don't countless people on a train, you know, uh, by just derailing a train because he can. Um, that's just insane. What about you, Chris? I don't know how I can top that answer. That was actually a pretty good answer. (laughs) I'm all thinking like, which one can like really hurt me? (laughs) I didn't even think about the invisible man. Um, yeah, the invisible man's really existential, but I mean, there's other, other universal monsters that can really probably physically put you in some serious pain i would say probably dracula mm-hmm. because i mean the guy could turn into a bat at any time yeah and even a wolf yeah well, yeah that too mm-hmm. the, the like these things can transform on you randomly and like with frankenstein he's like a big huge monster but he has a heart somewhere so it's like you could just yeah. be his friend, and it's not that scary. <laughs> I mean, I would say Dracula, because he also has, like, this kind of, like, uh, he can possess you kind of thing, like. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty scary, because. The hypnotism that he has. If you fall into that, you're done. <laughs> right. Yeah. As we see, it happens to uh, Renfield in the beginning of that movie. Um so, yeah, for me, I think it would be, um, uh, you know, I can see being afraid for both of those things. Va- vampires can be very scary, and the the unseen, the unknowing is very scary as well. Um, but I'm going to say, uh, for me, it would be the Wolfman. Um, I, I had a friend in high school who uh, his family trained attack dogs, oh. and he would offer to let us put on the bite suit. <laughs> yeah. can i have his number i want to do that <laughs> and uh i i love dogs but there's there's something different that happens to your brain uh when you see uh like a trained attack dog running at you mm. and like you know like he wants to bite he wants to cause harm to you and so like the, like you're just full of like this fear and adrenaline like seeing it bounding across the grass toward you and it's just like has one goal and that's like to i mean uh, granted an attack dog is specifically going to come and just bite your arm in a designated you know their trained area but like i imagine seeing like uh, a full-on half wolf half human being like running at you that just like wants to tear at you and eat you would be just so freaky and like you kind of see a good version of that in uh the remake of the wolfman with benicio del toro i feel like that version of the wolf was pretty scary yeah but uh so there's been countless adaptations of these movies over the years and typically the original version of whatever is being adapted is the most revered um do you think any of these films have more impact on you than their later remakes or are we have we gotten better at making these movies 
I'm going to have to say that none of these were really scary, but I can imagine because they were the first of their kind and back then people didn't see these kind of monsters anywhere. It was only in their heads and now they could see them on screen. Yeah. So I could imagine how it would be scary to them. Not only that, but the majority of these monsters were only shown for maybe five minutes at at the most other than mm-hmm. frankenstein yeah there's a lot of build-up yeah and so like i think that was like another thing that was like less is more for them is more of a mystery mm-hmm. and even with uh frankenstein in the credits uh boris karloff wasn't even credited as the monster yeah so I think they wanted to make that feel real. Mm-hmm. But um like with the new the new ones they they are a lot scarier and the effects of course are a lot better. And Bram Stoker Stoker's Dracula, that one was probably like the the best in my opinion, the best remake of any of of the uh Universal Monsters. Is that the Coppola one? Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I could see, because these images back then were very iconic. Yeah. And the new ones aren't so iconic. So, Mm -hmm. like, they're easily forgettable. Yeah, that's one thing I I noticed watching these films uh, was they, there's, like, some shots in there that are, like, iconic shots and like just you know wallpaper worthy cinematography (laughs) you know like some of the shots of like frankenstein yeah like dracula and dracula like that sort of underlit uh you know dark shadows in the in the eyes and uh you know slightly looking down but their eyes are looking up at you um they do some of those extreme close-ups really well and yeah, that imagery, I could I can see that like as seeing no other representation of, you know, mon- like really scary movie monsters, seeing that and going like, oh, that's creepy, you right. know. Yeah, I, I think, well, we don't have Bride of Frankenstein, but mm. there's talk of that actually happening. So I'm really excited for that. Um, I mean, Invisible Man, um, the latest film. That one was, um, I don't know if you saw like my Instagram story, but I had said that it made me scream really loud to the oh, point yeah, where I, I, saw I was that. so embarrassed and wanted to leave the theater. <laughs> um, it was just a stupid jump scare, but, um, yeah. but that I feel like the motivation was so much clearer in the remake that in the 1933 film, we don't quite know. Like first he's, you know, pissed that he is invisible and he wants to get back to to being visible so he's not quite a monster he's just like really he's almost like bruce banner you know and Mm -hmm. he's not happy that he's invisible and then he starts to see how he can use that for mischievous ways and you know it's weird because the whole like journey goes back and forth from him like killing I think a police officer first and then the I think it's the people on the train and then the money and then like 
somebody else and then he goes to sleep and like gets caught because he's snoring um <laughs> so it's like such a yeah. weird journey um whereas in the 2020 film we see his motivation is you know he he has the ability he's been messing with this tech but he's incredibly possessive of his girlfriend and that's mm-hmm. what he's going to use it for and so that to me really helps that the the monster and the 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 vile part of this kind of power um, really shine and it makes it clearer what he is doing with this. So if you want to, if someone is invisible, odds are they're not going to do good things with that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to like, you know, be invisible and help an old lady cross the street, you know, um, <laughs> just somehow she had the strength to do that. You know, they're not going to do that. They're going to do something probably bad. Mm-hmm. So the remake really helps show that journey from from just kind of taunting someone to actually trying to harm them and kill them and plotting something um and and it's well thought out you know the whole i mean spoilers but the whole um journey that he has the invisible man has in wanting to fake his own death and then Mm -hmm. um really control her even in his supposed death um you really see that there you don't see that in the original film um Mm -hmm. But I, I would say that we don't have anything to compare Brighter Frankenstein to. And I think it's a pretty solid film. It's probably my favorite of all of those. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, again, like the fact that it's shot in black and white and that um, the, it adds so much texture and beauty, really. So those, yeah. those shots of the bride and you can see like her um, profile Mm-hmm. but all wrapped up like that's really beautiful and seeing the architecture yeah. and Dracula and those close-up shots that you're talking about um and Frankenstein those are just so beautiful yeah I love the verticality of the sets in Frankenstein like everything just feels really tall yeah and like vast huge. and like you know when they're saying you know he lives in this old castle or you know uh watchtower or whatever it's like when they go inside, it feels like this gigantic cavernous, uh, gothic tower, you know? And yeah, the artistry is just incredible. Um, I would say for me, um, uh, what really had an impact on me is the original Invisible Man. I just, I, I feel like it has a, a mood. It's got a good pace. It's got like probably the best visual effects. Um, not the best makeup, but I mean, he's invisible. So, um, and I feel like it has the best opening, like, uh, Griffin, who's the invisible man is he's introduced as the invisible man right off the bat. I feel like the, a lot of the other films, you know, like Frankenstein, you got to build Frankenstein and the wolf man, he, the, you know, the main character has to get bitten and then he becomes the wolf man. Um, but like, in like the first scene of the movie he walks in and he's he's got the bandages and the you know the sunglasses on and then uh, you learn about how he got to that place yeah um from other characters um and i feel like it like you were saying earlier sandra it it enhances the fear because you're you not only like you can't see this person but we sort of don't know where he came from until like you know those things are parsed out 
throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, and you don't, you never get to see him until the very end. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. And he's he... so handsome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, also the, pre- like, I mean, I don't, I feel like we don't need to say spoilers. I mean, these movies came out in the thirties. <laughs> <laughs> I meant the 2020 version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but, uh, the protagonist in Invisible Man dies and the movie keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's so cool. Like, that's so different, you know? Like, I I think that that film is very underrated because it, it did a lot for not only, like, the, the universal monsters and the, the direction they would go because that had, like, the first hint of comedy in it. Like, mm-hmm. uh-huh. the, la- the lady that just screams the waitress. That, yeah. It's just, like... <laughs> Uh-huh. uncontrollably screaming and then you see her again in uh bride of frankenstein doing the same thing mm-hmm. yeah and uh so it, it had a comedy and then after that some of the films included comedy in them and then the special effects were never you know b- before seen that way to make someone invisible to shoot mm-hmm. something in like four different ways just to make one scene mm-hmm. yeah and not only that, but I, I feel like Invisible Man was probably the most complex monster, if you want to call him, mm-hmm. um, out of all of the, the uh, Universal monsters. So I think it, it should get a lot of lot more credit than it's been getting. Yeah, it's. Uh, I remember being uh, a kid when I first saw the original Invisible Man and go- going like, man, how did they do that? Yeah. And even like when I got older, when I was an adult, I would still watch and go, geez, how did they do that? Like, I, I never wanted to look into how they did it. I eventually learned how they, how they did it. Uh, I went to film school. Um, but like the, the mystery, uh, surrounding like, uh, you know, how that can be is like, it adds so much to the movie and I can see like, you know, people, of that time going and seeing that and just like jumping out of their skin. Like when oh, he yeah. first starts tearing off the bandages mm-hmm. and there's nothing there. And like those arms are just peeling off of like bandages of like, you know, just an empty space. It'd just be so like disconcerting. <laughs> well, I love when he just pulls off that like tuft of hair that he just like placed there to yeah. look like he had hair. <laughs> and he and the nose. He he went yeah. so far as to put a fake nose on and he throws the fake nose at the at the policeman and they're like, What the heck? Do you yeah. do you guys remember the Chevy Chase Invisible Man? Oh. I didn't see that. I remember the Kevin Bacon Hollow, Hollow Man. Man. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but not the Chevy Chase Invisible Yeah, that, that was my first uh I guess uh introduction to the invincible the invisible man was uh-huh. chevy chase and i don't remember if it was that great but i do remember it vividly like uh-huh. little scenes but it's probably not a good first impression of invisible <laughs> man i would think yeah well a lot of what i remember i mean because i love young frankenstein and so yes. in watching frankenstein and bride of frankenstein i'm like oh okay like here is you know i mean of course i knew that that was the source material but to see actual scenes and um that there were like good chunks lifted yeah <laughs> and and turned into 
I mean, shining a light on on the fact that they were comedic anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I thought that was pretty pretty dang smart. Yeah, there are certain parodies that like sometimes we're introduced to the parody first, mm-hmm. and so that becomes our frame of reference for certain like iconic things. And then when you see the original, you're like, wait a second, they took <laughs> they took that from Young Frankenstein, <laughs> you know? Like like my first introduction to like the majority of these monsters was monster squad. Oh my God. Oh yeah. So I Sandra love loves movie. monster squad. I do. <laughs> and I like met, um, Andre Gower and Ryan Lambert. And I was like, oh, hi, and I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like, man, that was another underrated movie that I think they're, uh, talking about rebooting that. <sighs> How do you feel about that though? It, it, not only that, but it was like, that that was the universal like monster movie that they're trying to make now that failed mm-hmm. yeah so like they did it in the 80s and it was awesome so that was my first introduction to all of those monsters yeah yeah that kind of leads into my next question um so universal pictures hit a vein with this franchise capturing the imagination and fears of audiences for for decades um, why do you think they struggle to recapture that magic with these classic creatures today? Uh, Sandra, do you have any thoughts? Um, so I haven't really looked into why that, you know, it's, it's, it's not happening um, and why it's kind of falling apart. But I, I do know that um, it's been kind of a long time coming and I'd love to see, um, I'd love to see that, see them use the momentum that we've, kind of built for years with MCU mm-hmm. and use that to say, Hey, like we can build this franchise now and, um, and just create this new generation of monster fans. Um, I see why they wanted to do it in the first place. Um, I think the announcement of it was, I mean, that was a cool photo shoot. <laughs> <laughs> announcing all the actors that were going to play them but i think that they should have waited on that Mm -hmm. and just released the mummy and kind of watched what that would do um i i don't know exactly why other than like i mean why it failed other than the movie wasn't that great (laughs) i think they were trying to do too much with it Mm. Right. And I mean they're they're just trying to compete with Marvel, so like they're trying to make this huge cinematic blockbuster, very Hollywood action, everything. And I think it was just like too much for one film and I don't know if Tom Cruise I mean, I love Tom Cruise and Top Gun and stuff, but I don't know if he was the right one to be in that film like that so yeah yeah. i i knew that i had kind of no desire to see that because i'm not a fan of tom cruise (laughs) um except for like maybe jerry Maguire and um the the credits i think of tropic thunder Um, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i don't know i mean i'd love to see i'd love to see that happen and i think um we need to get, I mean, well, Nick, you know that I love Neil Gaiman, so yep. <laughs> we could get someone like Neil Gaiman behind it. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
that I think might help with better casting and um, story development. Yeah. Yeah, I think the issue is the same issue that the DC expanded universe has, which is you need to start with start with one good movie. Like just focus all your efforts on making one awesome movie and then you can build off of that, you know, slowly. Yeah. You don't immediately tie, you know, one to the next or say like we're making a universe and uh you know it's gonna have all these characters in it these are all the people that are gonna be playing them and you're gonna be excited about it and you're gonna see it because <laughs> <laughs> like we're like well uh, we haven't seen the first one yet so the other issue is they need to think about what makes these monsters scary today mm-hmm. uh, i mean th- that might not even been the direction they were thinking of. maybe they're thinking let's reboot the monster universe and make it cool and action packed like mission impossible and that's why they got Tom Cruise and that's why they made the mummy what it was. But like, if you're, if you're going for scary, you know, Sophia Batella is not a scary mummy. She, she's a gorgeous mummy. Yeah. Like it's like maybe some of those monsters maybe even don't even work today. Like maybe they're, it's, they're just kind of a product of their time, like space jam, you know, I know they're trying to make space jam today, but like, I don't know, like Looney Tunes characters and a sports icon seem to only fit in the 90s. (laughs) So I don't know, maybe these monsters are just a product of their time. I like, but uh, I mean, we're seeing um, some good reviews out of the Invisible Man remake with um, Elizabeth Moss. Um, So like, there is a way to make at least that monster scary now. Right. So there could be just some way to tweak each of these stories and each of these characters to make them uh, resonate with today's audience. Yeah. I mean, if we look at, at some of the other, um, uh, some of the other remakes, I mean, we have with Wolfman, we have um, American Werewolf in London and Mm -hmm. that is pretty, (laughs) that is pretty dope. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, that one, I would be fine if they didn't, if they didn't try to pick that one up again. Of course we have American Werewolf in Paris, but Mm -hmm. the, um, London one is the one that I prefer. And, um, I think it'd be cool if they are going to try to pick up something. I, um, Invisible Man, I think was done really well. Um, Creature from the Black Lagoon would be really, really cool to see. Um, (laughs) And I think that they could capture the beauty that's in that film. So that's like the oldest film in all of these universal classic monsters. So it's 1954. And I believe it was a 3D movie. Uh, is that right, Chris? Because I think... Do you mean the youngest film? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the more recent. Yeah. Uh, the more recent. Um, and um, yeah, wasn't that a 3D movie? I'm not sure. I, I never actually looked that up. I didn't. I could see that being true because there's a lot of shots of just like the flipper yeah. coming out of the water towards right. the camera and slamming down on like the deck of the ship. And... Yeah. And that's when 3D was really like, super something, huge. You know, it just, <laughs> yeah. So it, it it's probably 3D back then. 
Well, mm-hmm. it it was. Um, I mean, we look at it now, and the creature isn't very scary. You know, he's he looks kind of funny almost. But I think it's important for anyone who wants to check these out, either for the first time in a long time or for the first time, to really place themselves in that context of the time and to appreciate it for that because it is really beautiful um the underwater shots are so gorgeous and so yeah they're great if we remake them we you know i mean not me but you know (laughs) if they're remade i think that they can do some really beautiful things um with underwater shots and um i i think that in in watching it recently, I think it was like last week that I watched Creature from the Black Lagoon, and I thought, you know what? It's they they all come with their own worldview, and they're all for yeah. the most part like this Christian worldview, um, because they're talking about like this one very specifically starts off with Genesis, like one one. Yeah, Genesis one one. And um, and they and they talk about primordial Earth. But then they also talk about like theistic evolution, essentially, because yeah. they're and I'm like, oh my gosh, they were like accidentally progressive, like that's. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was really fascinating, um, that that is the perspective from the '50s, that they were maybe maybe they didn't think of the kind of theological repercussions of that, but I thought that was fascinating and I appreciated that, and. Um, I'd love to see I'd love to see that one remade. But I think overall mm-hmm. when we think about worldviews, they all have a very specific worldview that they're communicating. Yeah, they all have very specific flavors. Mm-hmm. Like no two movies are the same in this franchise, which I think is really cool. You can get something it's not just a, you know, here's your here's your good guys and here's the monster and you know, this is their their fight against evil. It's very, there's very much a human story told in mm-hmm. each of these films. Yeah. Yeah. So that leads me into this next question here. Um, <laughs> King of segues. Yeah. Um, each film. And by the way, King of segues uh, is definitely crowned the King of segues when he points them out. <laughs> Stupid. So, <laughs> so each film seems to represent a different side of, humanity sometimes it's people sometimes it's the people surrounding the monster that the story is touching on Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's the monster itself um so what are some of the themes that are explored in these films um in that regard i feel like there is i mean it's it's a lot of like like how they said in uh bride of frankenstein there's the whole gods and monsters thing Mm -hmm. and it was like the god complex of man creating this this thing that was never seen before and deciding that they could be god whether <clears throat> they were creating it or like invisible man had those uh abilities mm-hmm. and he he also said that he's pretty much a god mm-hmm. and he yeah. could do anything so i mean the themes that I see, you know, kind of obvious or like that, that people, what happens when people want to play God type of um, story in, in mm-hmm. each one of these? Yeah, I think um, Dr. Frankenstein says in uh, the, the original Frankenstein movie, um, 
after you know the experiment he says now i know what it feels like to be god yeah yeah and, uh, and that and was talk- controversial yeah. yeah i could see that being controversial a, a, a lot of the things he says he talks about like uh um all the electrical secrets of heaven you know and uh like he's it's just the ironic thing is like his obsession with creating life but he has to use the power of nature to do it yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> well with frankenstein and, and bride of frankenstein i feel like the um the subtext there is is probably the strongest um and there are kind of two two things that i think are being communicated um in frankenstein of course like what chris was saying about this god complex and wanting to um have that power for yourself to to be able to create and we see that reflected today when we think of like biotechnology right. being used to extend human life and to kind of um, alter what it means to be human we we see that play out in um, in real life which mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's fascinating then to explore well what does that mean um, and what is the motivation behind that? Because it is very prideful, um, what Dr. Frankenstein is, you know, motivated by, you know, him having that, that God complex and wanting to, to be like God. And, mm-hmm. and what I found fascinating as I was watching that film is him saying those lines. I'm like, you know what? I guarantee that the community or not the community, but like, like people, the public, that did not sit well with them. And so I looked it up and yeah, sure enough, it's like pre-code Hollywood and they right. censored in some States, they censored that line be- and other, other things like where he drowns the little girl, you know, yeah. um, they censored some of those things. And I think it's fascinating to look at, okay, here is a film in 1931, that line of now I know what it feels like to be God was mm-hmm. such an issue that they needed that to be censored. And then in the 70s, we have Reagan doing what she does to a crucifix in The Exorcist. So it's like, <laughs> wow, like in a yeah. span of 40 years. What does she years. do? I've never watched that movie. Oh, you haven't? <gasps> I, no, I know what she does, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I haven't watched the movie. Yeah. That's a huge jump yeah. in uh, I outrage. <laughs> I mean, I if you want to go chronological order, you could have... John Lennon saying that they're bigger than Jesus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I I mean, if you want to make the smaller jump. (laughs) (laughs) Burn it all. Um, Yeah. No, I mean, it's just, I think it's fascinating to, to think of those themes. And then the other theme, which which we see more in Bride of Frankenstein and also young Frankenstein is when the, the creature or the monster is, he meets the blind man. Um, mm-hmm. I love that whole scene yeah. because it's such a powerful um, message for us that like what, what he's looking for is, is companionship and, and a friend. And he's looking for that in this person because they were not able to see the exterior. He could experience the, like the heart. Right. Um, and, you know, maybe that's just me being like overly touchy-feely about it, but I just thought that was really beautiful. Um, well, and, and it also shows like, and sometimes even those people will hurt you. 
Right. Because he, he lights his thumb on fire yeah. on accident. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. it, it just, it made me think of like what charity and hospitality would look like um, if we couldn't see kind of their need, which his need was for food and for, for a friend. You yeah. know, if we could see the need instead of the shall and, um, and oh my gosh, like the poor monster is just like so depressed. He's like, uh-huh. he made me from dead. I love dead. I hate living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like he's super emo <laughs> with bride of frankenstein that was when they actually like kind of humanized frankenstein yeah. because he was a monster yeah. in the first one and it, he was just you know killing people he wasn't sure of what's going on this one he has a heart yeah so mm-hmm. heart it of makes, gold. <laughs> Yeah, so it it makes you feel for him because now you get the monster. Well, he's not even a monster anymore at that point. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting observation. Um, I, I would say Frankenstein. I would agree that Frankenstein is like it's very deep. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can kind of peel away a lot of layers of that film. Um, it's such a short film too. Um, but like just how when he he comes to life, he's got an abnormal brain. He's made from parts of different people. Um, but like when he, you know, first, you know, takes his first steps and he's alive for a few days, he he doesn't cause any damage or anything. He he's just walking around the watchtower. And then when they like they open the the skylight to let in sun he like reaches for it and then like all he knows after that is kind of darkness and then fritz the the little igor uh character just starts like whipping him and you know pointing fire at him for no reason and like dr frankenstein's like what the heck are you doing stop doing that so it's like is like is he a monster by nature or was he made that way because like from being alive after such short amount of time all he knows is kind of like uh, dark chambers violence same and like yeah like mistreatment yeah yeah it's all trauma pain yeah it's like if if they just let him out you know like what I mean, obviously, he'd scare people, but like, would he have done, you know, the things that he's done? Would he have accidentally killed that girl if there wasn't violence inflicted on him? You know, like, would he have been more gentle? <laughs> he just wanted to see if she could float. <laughs> it's it's almost like uh, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. 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 It's, completely. it's pretty much the Very same much. exact story. Just he was introduced to the world by love, and he got his whole world shattered when the inventor Vincent Price died on him. It wasn't anything violent, nothing. So it's definitely something that these monsters or or creatures do deal with trauma and some of them. Mm. So it it kind of determines where they go in the story. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I I would say he's probably, well, my mom, she laughs at me because I, I, she says Frankenstein and she goes, oh, I'm sorry, Frankenstein's a monster. Um, so she teases me. 
about correcting her on that. Um, but I would say that he is um, probably one of my favorites. One, because it's a kind of a reminder of the product of pride mm-hmm. and the dangers of that, but also um, just his... Because um, one can say, well, he had an abnormal, abnormal brain, and so that's why he was the way he was. Um, but one could argue that he was a product of his environment, and that's kind of... Yeah. That's kind of a lot of what we talk about when we think about brain chemistry and nature versus nurture. Like, what what is yeah. it that ultimately um, has the strongest effect in how you behave and conduct yourself? Um, so I, I just think that that's pretty fascinating. Um, or even how we, like, treat people with mental illness. Right, completely. Because it's like it, a mob comes after him you know right <laughs> in the end right uh, and he's not the real monster i mean it really yeah. is dr frankenstein and then in the brighter frankenstein it's dr pretorius in wanting to take it to the next level and you know become immortal and then making these like little tiny people which were super cute but yeah that was so yeah. weird <laughs> it threw me off <laughs> but, but it's like why did you do that you know and they're very specific <laughs> characters, you know, like a king and all this stuff. So, and and also in in uh, Bride of Frankenstein, that's when Doctor Frankenstein is no longer this god or monster. He realizes what he did, right? And now mm-hmm. he's even more humanized and noticing the consequences of, you know trying to be god right yeah he talks about you know more right. mortal men daring to imitate god and but but he still gets lured back in by pretorius and um you know but but you kind of hear that dialogue not only with dr frankenstein to pretorius but also kind of to himself because he's like maybe death is actually a gift and i thought that was pretty yeah. profound um to even say that because we all want to prolong our lives, but Dra- uh, Dracula says that too. Yeah, yeah. He, he says, uh, like, uh, there are far thi- far worse things than death, and to be truly dead must be a glorious thing. Right, and the mummy too—that death is but a doorway to a new life. So yeah. death is like a huge part of um, these films, you know, the the subtext of them. So yeah, yeah. it's pretty interesting. Yeah, um, I actually want to like get your guys' thoughts on uh, Dracula uh, in terms of like the the themes of that movie because oh. I was I was trying to think of like I'm trying to put my 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 head within the context of the time, but I don't know if my my 21st century brain is <laughs> like getting in the way. But just uh, by the way, Dracula came out in also in 1931 on Valentine's Day. Oh. <laughs> I would 100% want to be taken to that. <laughs> yeah, but like I never read the original story, the original novel, uh, Bram Stoker. Mm-hmm. Um, but the feel I get from the movie, it's just, it kind of has like these almost like pedophilic undertones. Hmm. Like he, Dracula is always going after young women. And like, you know, he even has that, famous line you know children of the night what sweet music they make yeah that, that one was a weird line <laughs> oh man that went totally over my head like and like he's uh, he gets older and the girls he preys on are always like kind of the same age yeah. and 
I don't know. That's that's kind of those were kind of the feelings I was getting from it. Um, I know I've read somewhere that it, like uh, I don't know if this is true, but like the original story was kind of about like like the danger dangers of female sexuality and how that needs to be like kept uh, under control <laughs> or something. I mean, and so, I, don't I don't know, know but like I was wondering like what your guys' thoughts were on that. Well, that's pretty fascinating because. Um... That is kind of the theme for a lot of films. Like, even the 80s slashers films, it's always like this cautionary tale, basically don't have sex, and then yeah. you'll live. Um, and, um, uh, but I didn't, I didn't pick up on that as much as um, the strength of the vampires that people don't believe in him. And it, mm-hmm. it made me think of the line from Usual Suspects where, where he says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist or he didn't exist. Yeah. And so yeah, that, that's, that's a line in, in the movie. Yeah. Um, is it, uh, Van Helsing says the, the strength of the vampire is that we won't believe in him. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, and that's, that is, I think the, um, scariest part about Dracula is that people really don't think that he, is bad and that he is um, a threat. And when you think, when you compare that to like real life situations of someone who is actually doing really bad things, um, like Harvey Weinstein and what, <laughs> what he's been doing, you know, how long did it take for people to actually believe that he was doing bad things? Right. And, and that, I mean, for women, we see that everywhere where that happens, that nobody's believing. Mm-hmm. that um, this person is, you know, evil. And, right. um, yeah, I mean, so that is kind of the the message that I was picking up on. Yeah. Um, like, the only other, like, men or man that Dracula preys on is Renfield. And he doesn't make him a vampire. He just makes him, like, a servant or, like, somebody who's complicit right. Right. with him and will help him. Uh, you know, like move from place to place and, you know, find fresh blood. Yeah. I, yeah. I like that he, he has an actual um, foe in Van Helsing and him, uh-huh. him saying like those, he like straight up says that I would save those you intend to harm. Um, that, I don't know if, if we saw that in the other films where there is an actual foe to the monster. Besides mm-hmm. just, oh, I'm scared of you, but like, no, I'm actually going to pursue revealing who you truly are and trying to thwart you in your mm-hmm. attempts to harm others. I, yeah. I, I would say the gypsy woman was kind of a foe for uh, a wolfman a, a bit. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I could see that. Yeah. yeah, she kind of looked out for him and was very... Um, she knew who he was and knew the curse of what was behind his mm-hmm. his uh, monster-ness. I don't know. Mm-hmm. His, lycan- his lycanthropy. <laughs> Is that what you call walking on your tippy toes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that yeah. part. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like, he, like, she could have helped him at any time. And every time she shows up is after he's killed someone to turn him into a human again. She's always, she always happens to be a little too late. Yeah. Yeah. She's always just waiting there in the, 
in the forest on her horse and buggy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why she was late. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's keep moving here. Um, some of the monsters in these movies are made to be feared, and some of them seem to be made to be pitied. Are there any monsters that you felt uh, sympathy for, Sandra? Definitely Frankenstein, especially yeah. in Bride of Frankenstein when the woman made for him is like, ill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, poor thing. This monster just can't get a break. Um, yeah, I feel sympathy for him. I think in other adaptations of Phantom, I felt sympathy. But in the mm-hmm. 1943 version, so I know like offline, um, Chris, you were asking me about um, what I thought about the film. And I didn't want to say it till we were, <laughs> we were um, <laughs> on air. Is He totally made me think of like an incel yeah. who yeah. just can't take no for an answer. It's like complete toxic masculinity. Um, yep. Because he doesn't even, like, actually pursue her. He, and I don't know, like, why everybody loves her, but, um, <laughs> so I'm like, is she, like, the only gal in town? Like, she had three. No, she isn't, but, man, everyone loves her so much. I know. I'm like, what does she do? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, he's just, like, super intense and, like, no, she must succeed. Um, yeah. Yeah, so no sympathy for that guy. Um in the 43, 1943 version. Yeah. Cla- yeah. Claude Rains, by the way, the um, Phantom, who is also the Invisible Man. Uh huh. He's in a lot of these. A lot of these, a lot of the actors in these movies are in every single one of these movies. It's almost like. <laughs> it's a contract you know, thing, you know? Yeah. It was almost like there were like 10 actors in Hollywood in the 30s, and they're like, well, move you from this production to this production now yeah i mean well that's how it used to be though right like yeah back then they used to send them to like five pictures back or what they used to call it like yeah Yeah. so they were kind of recycled yeah Yeah. they have studio deals too Mm -hmm. so like like you'd see like one actor in like one set of films from one studio Mm -hmm. yeah bella lugosi played like every monster just yep. about so it was yeah that was interesting and he was a weird looking frankenstein <laughs> <laughs> what about you chris was there any any one of these monsters that you felt uh pity for i would say frankenstein definitely um in this well even in the first one because he didn't ask to be brought back to life it was and and you realize that and bright of frankenstein because his last words were we all deserve to be dead or we we should be dead something paraphrasing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so I, I definitely feel pity for frankenstein um and just like you said sandra uh <laughs> she didn't even like him she's like uh look at you <laughs> yeah. and, i mean that I, I told you offline where i have a thing with like some of the fans of those movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say all of them, but some of them, when, when they happen to get the tattoos of Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they get it in a way to where they're like, oh my God, this is true love. No, it's yeah. not. <laughs> he killed her because she didn't like him. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, reevaluate your relationships yeah. before you get those tattoos. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, going back to it, 
Um, I would say Wolfman too because he didn't ask for that that life. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. he was just kind of like, "What am I doing?" Like, he he couldn't control when he was turning into the Wolfman, and he felt bad when he found out he killed people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it it was nothing by his choice. It was just he was a monster you know all of a sudden and he didn't know how to control it mm-hmm. so those were the two that that i sympathized with yeah i would say for me it's the creature from the black lagoon uh because i mean th- that that guy is just kind of swimming around in his own lagoon <laughs> <laughs> when these you know people showed up and uh one of the things I liked about this movie too, is you kind of have like the the, the two sides of uh, kind of like this scientific argument. There's like the one guy who uh, studies nature for, you know, for the study and for the knowledge and increasing the knowledge of uh, humanity. And then you have the other guy who's like, just wants to discover something new in nature for the, the glory and the fame. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when they show up to the lagoon and they find this creature that is from it and the, <laughs> like the, the one guy who studies, I forget their names. They're, they're all interchangeable. It's all the, all their names are like uh, Bob and Jeff and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but so the one guy's like, like, oh, let's get photos of this thing. And the other guy's like, shoot it with a harpoon now. <laughs> because it looks different and it's weird. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, he wants to just kill it and throw it in a cage and, you know, dissect it and display it in a museum. And, you know, like the, the creature wasn't asking for any of that. Like when, when the creature's uh, introduced to the audience, the characters aren't aware of it, but the audience is. And he's just kind of checking things out. He's like, what is this, you know, boat? Who is this cre- This other, like, human-looking creature swimming in my domain? Yeah. Like, what is this? Like, he doesn't, like, attack or anything. And it's, you know, he is just curious. And, like, when he's met, kind of like with uh, Frankenstein, he's met with violence. He's like, shoot, okay, yeah. <laughs> I need to I need to fight back. They react, yeah. Um, yeah, but then, but the, the difference in with the... Uh, the creature from the black lagoon is like it seems to have like a very human uh desire for vengeance because it doesn't just like try to attack and run away it's like coming back day after day and night after night and trying to kill these people um but i mean but he also you know, he also is infatuated with uh k yeah yeah so i mean even if like in shape of water that's kind of that is the creature mm-hmm. if they were put into <laughs> another you know almost a sequel like what if they would have fallen for each other what if they would have met right and, and that kind of plays into what what you're saying about you know sympathy sympathy yeah he's just mm-hmm. he's a misunderstood creature yeah there's a lot to say too about like how we treat you know nature like and like these scientists end up like dumping poison into the lagoon 
just to put this one creature to sleep and like there's a scene where after they've dumped all the poison in the water and like there's just like hundreds of fish like dead yeah floating floating on top and no creature to be found thanks boomer yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah like that for me that's to me is a the most sympathetic creature yeah were you gonna say something sandra well i I I like what you said, Chris, about just kind of likening it to the shape of water and Mm -hmm. kind of what what would have happened had they met. Um, And she, you know, didn't wasn't scared of him. Um, That's what I would love to see in kind of reboots or or, um, remakes of these films um, is a very artistic. I think that's what it has to be. It's not like this action packed thing. I think it has to be very artistic Um, and beautifully shot and kind of let the story unfold there um I would love to see that and I now like I want to see the shape of water again because I have the creature from the black lagoon so fresh in my mind um because it was such a really good film um the shape of water and it had a beautiful score Mm -hmm. and um because I'm always talking about scores I feel Um, that was a great score I I used to listen to that all the time yeah so I kind of want to rewatch it but what I thought was fascinating um, for Dracula, like that didn't have, I think, I don't know if that's the only one that didn't have an original score. So it was confusing for me to watch it and hear Swan Lake because I'm used to seeing that mm-hmm. and picturing beautiful ballet. So in watching the film recently, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is supposed to be scary. So it kind of had for me like a Kubrick vibe because you have music that you're familiar with and it's throwing you off because you're seeing something that doesn't match with the music um, mm-hmm. that has kind of a, a place in your memory already. And the, and there wasn't a lot of score on that, that movie. No, like nothing. Right. Not, I mean, people are probably going to hate me for this, but I fell asleep the first time I watched it. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> I was just like, I need more noise. I need more things going yeah. on here. They can hate <laughs> us more together. Stimuli. Yeah, and I was just like, well, this was a letdown. <laughs> I mean, he was a very iconic character, and he played him great, and the imagery was good. But I still needed more. I needed more stimuli, as you said. I needed music to. Yeah to build up to those scary or supposed to be scary scenes. Yeah. I mean, I felt like it would have added so much more. And then you go from that to Frankenstein Mm -hmm. and Frankenstein Mm -hmm. had a score. So it's like, I mean, there were scores back during that time. So it, it's weird how they didn't put that in there. Yeah. I think it would have added so much more to the, the scenes. It would have, and it didn't have to have a lot because the remake of Invisible Man doesn't have a lot um, of of music or a score, but they use the silence as part of the storytelling and, and part of the mm-hmm. tension building. Um, and I don't know if that was an intentional thing with Dracula because it was so much silence that it just yeah. seemed like... like Also, also a lot of... like. Scenes of just old men talking in libraries, right? Or even like the slow, the slow walk, and it's quiet. It's just like uh-huh. a slow lean yeah. in yeah. towards. You could hear them like in a studio. 
Like, yeah. Could, yeah. The voices were echoey. Like it was hollow. Yeah. You hear the grip chewing a sandwich in the background. <laughs> yeah. It was. That's what it needed. And I mean, it still survived. Like it, it holds up for a lot of people. So I mean, mm-hmm. there's obviously something there. Yeah. My dad loves Dracula. He has the ring that Dracula wears um, in a case on his desk. Um, but let's go. Let's dive into some, something else here. Uh, <laughs> these films are king of segways. King of segways. So these films were made in the mid, uh, sort of the mid twentieth century, in a world that looked very different than it does today. Like some of these films came out before World War II, and uh, some of these films came out after. Um, how does viewing them through a 21st century lens affect how you feel about them? Chris? Um, I mean, I guess I'll go back to like a lot of these I have not seen until like recently when we discussed, uh, you know, going into this podcast. Mm -hmm. So like I bought the box set. I've only watched all the way through um, Creature of the Black Lagoon, which was always my favorite and um frankenstein and watching them now it was like now it's like these aren't even scary but they're more like art it it looked just like i was watching like paintings on the screen right Right. which you know that that says a lot that they were just you know shot beautifully Mm -hmm. yeah there's something about um painted background yeah like sets that are just like I don't know. It it does it does something for me where I'm like it just it's I think it's it just feels like cinema, you know? Mm-hmm. Like like it feels like movies. You know, if you got a black and white image uh painted uh night sky, you know, or cliffside with just like a few rocks on set, you know, it, it just like looks like you you're looking into like a beautifully uh put together stage production. Yeah, it, it's, I think it was like, it's very Hollywood, what what you picture Hollywood to be. Yeah. And it's like that golden era of where, where every actor and actress was, you know, handsome and gorgeous and no flaws in them. They were just naturally like beautiful people. Yeah. And, you know, now it's like, you know, everybody does like the makeups and the plastic surgeries and stuff like that. <laughs> but it, it was just like a different time back then. The de-aging. Yeah, technology. exactly. <laughs> and, and not only that, but like makeup was like the prosthetics that they used. Yeah. Pioneers. It, it was just, it was crea- really creative and just like everybody was an artist, it seemed like from the actors to the makeup artist to the director it was everything was just like a work of art mm-hmm. when you watch it mm-hmm. the fashion is gorgeous the what the fashion oh yeah Completely. oh yeah yeah and, and like since we have the same box set like all of all of them are in black and white until you get to um phantom of the opera and i think that's what kind of took me out of it right away yeah, the color. Yeah, it was it's in technical. Like, <laughs> so it kind of was just like, wait a minute. What's going on here? I think <laughs> it w- I would have been more into that film, which 
you know, the listeners will probably notice that we don't talk about that that movie that much <laughs> in this. Well, like if you cut out all the scenes of just like literal opera singing, it, you probably have about a ten minute movie. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. It and it was okay. So that was the most annoying of all of the films. Um, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, the Phantom really ticked me off in how he like there was no rhyme or reason for why he was so obsessed or uh-huh. or it happened prior to the beginning of the film which is like that's not yeah, part of the story like i yeah it's not explained right like i need to see why he's so weird when he talks to her he's like oh hi and then that's kind <laughs> of that's kind of it um but then he also has like this um oh he stole my concerto so that yeah. i felt like it wasn't really developed in that in that film um yeah i would say that was probably my my least favorite one but when we look from the like a 21st century lens to these films um that are mid-century um 20th century um you know and especially as a woman like i see it from that perspective so i see phantom as almost as scary as invisible man in that he mm-hmm. has no no right to Christine but he is so obsessed with her to the point where he is destroying everything around her um, and right. and yeah so he is probably um, one of the I guess most destructive and scary characters um for wolfman i thought that like the way that i viewed that was about like this whole the power of your mindset because that's what they were talking Mm -hmm. about it's like um the power of our perspective is what can have us be good or what can have us transform to something full of wrath and so today Mm -hmm. as we're all you know social distancing and we're kind of we're keeping away perspective is huge if our yeah. if our perspective is in a bad place which mine i i'm so much better now but like that when <laughs> things first started um kind of unfolding it was really hard for me and i had to do a lot of work to shift my perspective um so that i thought oh it's it's really interesting to watch that and the messaging is basically here you've got this guy who transforms into a wolf but really it's about your perspective (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was like really um kind of funny um Mm -hmm. but but also poignant because it is it is true i mean it our perspective really does transform our reality yeah yeah that's good i i was gonna say like the one one of the things that stuck out to me watching these movies through my millennial lens um (laughs) is yeah like how the way (laughs) women were treated in these stories i know it's garbage like like you're saying christine and phantom of the opera is uh, i mean she's really the only woman who wins in these films in the end like she's constantly flanked by like these three different men (laughs) vying for her affection (laughs) 
and in the end she's like screw all of you i'm gonna be a star yeah <laughs> you know that and, is my uh, vibe <laughs> and then the two guys go to dinner together i laughed really hard at that because like that's that's like the last scene you see in this in this movie is those two guys going arm in arm yeah. out of the <laughs> out of the opera i was like i was like i called it i called it yeah that was so what was funny to me is like that's what you chose to be like <laughs> the final image of phantom of the opera is it's not like that that really cool image of like the you know the crumbled uh ceiling with the violin and the broken mask on the ground that's not the final image the final image is like this cop and this opera singer <laughs> like arm in arm walking out of an opera and they look so much the same i'm like are they twins yeah. i just kept saying that are they twins are they yeah, twins they, yeah they have the same mustache yeah it was weird but that, that was probably the worst last scene in all of these films <laughs> yeah because yeah. that's another thing it was like you know the monster would die and then it just that's the end it literally yeah, yeah. the end and then uh -huh. you had <laughs> phantom of the opera like all right like really like yeah, like the monster dies and they're like, wait a second, we got to wrap something up here. Yeah, it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> wait a minute, we have some after scene credits, but we'll put them in at the at the end of the film. Well, when when you're talking about like how the women are treated, the wolfman is freaking gross. So yeah. It, it's like before he even gets bit or anything, he's like, oh, why don't, or do you have earrings that look like this? And he's like very specific. And then he yeah. just like... Yeah casually confesses that he was staring at her yeah from with a telescope and she's like oh cool 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 yeah um yeah and she's fine He's with like, it i'm an astronomer i was looking through your window like 10 minutes ago i know now i came here to get those earrings and she's just she's super cool about it and she's engaged which is like what are you yeah maybe that's where they got the whole term men are dogs I don't know. Well, yeah, the, he he comes out of the or like they make a date and he meets her, and she's like, "I have a friend who wants to come too," and he's like, "Right on." <laughs> and they go like, <laughs> "Yeah." We should we should riff track these movies and be awesome. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, even like the the Baron in um, in Frankenstein, uh, uh, he's the Baron of the town or the village or whatever um or was that in frankenstein I or think was it was that Bride in dracula frankenstein like he yeah he yeah it's frankenstein because he he's having a celebration for uh dr frankenstein getting married um and he he has like the the good wine that he's giving out to all the guests and stuff and then he goes give the cheap champagne to the to the help like it's the, the wine is wasted on them <laughs> and, like, and like the help is standing there like all cheery and they, they drink their cheap champagne and they're like oh my goodness thank you <laughs> like, classism so, yeah. yeah eat the rich um, eat the rich <laughs> yeah but you know you have like the same sort of thing in like creature from the black lagoon with uh the the two guys that are like vying for the well one one of them is dating the girl in Creature from the Black Lagoon, right? Yeah. And the other one is just, like, trying to steal her? I don't know. I mean, he was so boring to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, and in The Mummy, uh, like, that whole movie is about Imhotep trying to bring back uh, his dead 
girlfriend whether she wants to or not yeah <laughs> yeah um but yeah it's it's interesting watching these movies like going back and go like whoa like those thing some of those things were like supposed to be romantic and like i don't know i mean were they like... <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm guessing at the time those writers were going like you know oh this pre-wolfman is going to charm this woman by saying he was looking at her through right. her window oh look he's <laughs> so assertive telescope. <laughs> the the woman was always like a possession or accessory mm-hmm. to the guy trying to be a god yeah yeah pretty, pretty and much they're always i mean to me i was i was seeing the theme of like oh can you make a woman fall into a trance okay then you might be a universal monster because <laughs> um, they're all just yep. entranced yeah um also in the the mummy something i noticed i forgot about this was when it does the flashback scenes um to ancient egypt um it seems like all like the pharaoh and all of like their i don't know lieutenants or other royal members and stuff they're all white <laughs> yeah and um the people the uh, the people who are like carrying like the sarcophagus mm-hmm. and stuff and, stuff and like lighting the torches they're all black mm-hmm. well but not really though <laughs> yeah they, it, it almost seemed like they did like a whole blackface thing mm-hmm. they did yeah. they absolutely did i had to like absolutely look did. at it i'm like wait a minute like <laughs> am i watching this yeah. yeah but then i had to remember like this was a different time but i'm yeah this was okay ever <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. They and like they end up killing all the quote unquote black uh characters as well. Like they they bury yeah. What they call them? They bury they bury the mummies and then they like the pharaoh tells like all the soldiers to throw their spears at them mm-hmm. <laughs> so that they that they could die with the I don't know next to the sarcophagus. It's yeah, it's yeah. terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I didn't. I didn't notice that they were like kind of doing a blackface thing until they show um, the guy that the mummy hypnotizes. I think they call him the Nubian. Nubian, yeah. They they show him. They show a close up of him, and like you can see like where like you know the inside of his eyelids <laughs> where they didn't get makeup on, <laughs> and it's like it's really bad. Yeah, I, I thought something was wrong with my TV because I I had just bought a new TV, so I'm like, is this uh-huh. right? Like. <laughs> Why does he not look like he's naturally that skin color? Like something's off here. <laughs> yeah. So go watch the mummy. Um, and he's only the mummy for like five seconds in that movie. Yeah. Well, he's the mummy in the beginning of the movie and that's it. Yeah. He, he's basically just like walking like he has a pinched sciatic nerve. Yep. yep. <laughs> and I'm like, he, poor thing. He had to like act that way. He had to just walk super slow and it's like that's about uh-huh. that's supposed to be scary like the extent of all that he is as a scary person is yeah he's walking really slow <laughs> well at least it showed that boris karloff had chops like in frankenstein he didn't get to do he yeah. didn't even have any dialogue in the first one yeah. yeah yeah all right so uh last question here um the 2020 remake of the invisible man has received really really great reviews and uh, writer-director Lee Whannell took uh, the classic movie and put not only like modern effects to work in it, but also put to work a culturally relevant story. 
Um, if you were to adapt one of these monster movies for today's audience, which one would you, uh, wh- which one would you pick, and what kind of spin would you put on it? Sandra, do you have one? Oh, I mean, I feel like I talked a lot about the remake already, and um, I really liked Chris's idea of, well, I mean, but it's been done, but but showing. Um, kind of a new take on Creature from the Black Lagoon in The Shape mm-hmm. of Water. So I think yeah. if something is done, I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see Brighter Frankenstein and Frankenstein um, kind of in that order. Um, I mean, <laughs> sorry, not not in that order, in reverse order. Um, but I'd like uh, to see that done and exploring what what happens when we... Um, try to master nature to the point of changing what humanity is mm-hmm. and um, whether that is by actually piecing together a person in the way that Dr. Frankenstein does or if it's something different, but it's still... I wonder if it would be like a, like an organ donor thing. It could... Like people start like uh, bringing loved ones back to life using like organ donation oh yeah and through other scientific means or something that um that would be that would be really dark and i like it (laughs) um but i mean it could even be like what we see in black mirror which is honestly like one of my favorite series it's super dark but it shows it shows that it shows what happens when we start to mess with what it means to be human and what we do because ultimately the two sides of us will reveal itself like the good and the bad we're going to see that so we see that Mm -hmm. wretchedness in humanity Um, and black mirror is a wonderful example of that so if we have a film that takes that um, takes that idea of changing what it means to be human and wielding that power and what we would do with that power to really destroy um, the thing that we are hoping to create, um, it doesn't have to be again, like in a very like specific making a human body come to life kind of a way, but taking that concept, Mm -hmm. um, and then the bride of Frankenstein developing that more because you have now this, this creation that realizes that it is better to be dead but then also he's longing for companionship. And so kind of that, those two positions of like, he wants to be dead, but also he wants to, to not be alone. And what does that look like? Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think it'd be cool to kind of see both of those. get. Mm-hmm. I mean, my favorite was always Creature. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like we kind of saw like a version of that with Shape of Water. And it worked really well. Um, mm-hmm. I would agree with Sandra with, with, uh, Bride of Frankenstein would be a good one. Um, but the thing is, is like Frankenstein has been done a lot. Mm-hmm. So it that would be a little tricky to try to remake that one and make mm-hmm. it stand out yeah. in order to get to Bride of Frankenstein. Um, and then if that were to happen, the Bride of Frankenstein, I, I want to see more of her and more of... Yeah. Maybe, maybe there is, like, more of a love story or, like, more of a, you know, not a love story, just more story between the two. Yeah. 
Yeah, just not more than just a mm-hmm. scream. Yeah, not like, oh, <laughs> she's on screen, she doesn't like me, I'm going to kill her. <laughs> yeah. Like the, <laughs> the movie's named Bride of Frankenstein and she lasts for less than 5 minutes. <laughs> well, they never got married <laughs> and they didn't consummate it, so it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see more of her. I feel like she is a great character to explore. Yeah. And there's so much that they can, there's so many different ways that they can go with that. What if it was, uh, you do Frankenstein proper, uh, but it's a, it's a female monster. And then you do the groom of Frankenstein. Ooh, I'm down. I'm down. (laughs) I am very open with that. (laughs) Um, but of course, like with Hollywood, they would make it like this romantic comedy where it's like, which monster is she going to choose? <laughs> yeah. Um, the human yeah. or the monster, which one is she going to fall for? <laughs> um, so I, I would say, I would agree with you guys. I would like to see, I mean, we did, we did see in shape of water, uh, kind of a, a new take on creature from the black lagoon. But if I were to do like my own take on creature from the black lagoon i feel like there's still some like fear that could be squeezed out of that character um you might think i'm weird but i'm a i'm a writer so i think about weird stuff (laughs) but i i would probably add like poison barbs to the claws that like paralyze its victims and then he like eats them while they're awake nice um (laughs) (laughs) but i think there can be like an interesting uh, human story that you can tell there like instead of having you know two guys trying to get uh together you know with the one woman that's on the on the boat i'd kind of i think i'd go at it with an angle of like it's a family that's on this trip that's on a trip and they kind of take like this private little uh boat cruise down this river that gets stuck in this lagoon and like maybe there's some sort of like family turmoil and stuff like it's on the brink of collapse uh, but like would you cast the dad as Dwayne Johnson absolutely, absolutely oh I would because it would make a million dollars or a billion dollars is Emily um, Blunt in this as well yes, <laughs> yes I'll get the quiet place yes. people to come <laughs> and we could recall it Jungle, Jungle Cruise. Cruise Jungle Cruise yeah <laughs> Also, but, uh, with what you're saying, I I would hope that it would be like something like what Jaws did to uh-huh. it in the the 70s 80s, like in terms of like seeing seeing it very free uh like infrequently. Yeah, like it, it terrified people of water, and I'm terrified of water, not for the Jaws reasons, but just because M reasons. Night M Night Shyamalan. Yeah, like <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if, if they could do that with the creature that would bring it to a whole new level for that mm-hmm. i mean it could have like a cape fear vibe uh-huh. where they're uh-huh. just stuck there and yeah. yeah that's what i was thinking it's like not only are they stuck in this lagoon but like they're stuck on the boat mm-hmm. like so like there's land around them but first of all they have no idea where they are they don't know like which direction to go to get back home even if they were to get on land but like then there's this creature that's kind of stalking them underwater and they you know 
they're out of their element and they're scared and they kind of have to band together and get creative to get out of there. I think a perfect location for that would be the Bermuda Triangle because that's where everybody loses communication. So, I mean, that could be thrown mm-hmm. into it. Like they take a trip and end up in Bermuda Triangle and have <laughs> no way out of there. We shouldn't have gone on Bermuda Triangle cruise lines. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Like- yeah. And then like in the climax, like the whoever's like the youngest and most lovable character that's like always feels left out and forgotten by the rest of the family (laughs) gets like like scratched by the creature and dragged down into the lair and it's like just about like right right when it's about to eat it eat them the family shows up and they have to take down the creature together just be a fun ride (laughs) Yeah, that's that's making me super happy right now. <laughs> so we're gonna write this film as soon as yeah. this podcast is over. Yeah. Can I be the forgotten person as as the uh, yeah the, yeah, the, the pink the pink haired child yeah the middle child? Notice uh-huh. me, mom. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. Yeah, that would be. I would I would I would see all of our all of our films. Yeah. <laughs> also, I think the Wolfman needs to be redone you know yeah i could see i i would give that another shot i would see another wolfman i i'm so much a fan of american werewolf in london that i'm like uh, i don't know like because mm-hmm. i think i would be judging it like yeah but you're but you don't have amazing practical effects like you're just relying on technology <laughs> well, it's, it, i mean i've to me it's like all about like the take that you have right like, you know like with invisible man they found in a, a way that make it relevant to today so like if you can find a way to do that with each of these monsters i feel like you can you know bring them back to life yeah like frankenstein's monster yeah yeah (laughs) but hopefully hopefully with a normal brain not an abby normal one (laughs) yeah not an abby normal one (laughs) but anyways thank you guys i think we're gonna close it out here i'm just gonna say Thank you, Sandra, for being on the show. Thank you, Chris, for joining us as well. Um, so that's it. That's it. We're done. Uh, you can find Chris's movie reviews on filmthreat.com, and you can also find him on Instagram at Chris Stop Her. That's a, at Chris underscore stop underscore H-E-E-E-R. Love it. And um, you can also find him at Blood Red Comics. So coming up, coming up next week though on Story Geeks podcast, um, it's uh, going to be a completely different uh, <laughs> genre, <laughs> um, jumping from these Universal monsters over to the world of Frozen, <laughs> Frozen and Frozen Two. That Olaf. <laughs> so, <laughs> So don't miss that show or any of our upcoming shows. Subscribe today on your preferred podcast provider. And uh, remember, you can join the Story Geeks Club for free. Uh, The link to the club is in the show notes. And if you join us as a VIP member, we'll prioritize your questions and comments here uh, on the show. And when we do uh, live shows, really, Uh, this show is not live, uh, but join us next time for a live show. Um, so you can learn more about that on storygeeks.com. So thanks for listening. And as always question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. Special thanks to all the members of the story geeks club. Here are some of the supporters. 
that support us at $5 a month or more. Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, uh, Justin Weaver, Mary Baldwin, Wade Johnson, Jim Baldwin, Nick Prokop, Kimberly Lejeau, and Connie Moe. We appreciate all the members of the Story Geeks Club, even those we haven't mentioned by name. Thank you so, so much. If you would like to support the show by joining the Story Geeks Club and signing up for our uh, VIP tiers, please head over to thestorygeeks.com.